Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, and just read a few verses. You'll have to have your outline in front of you because what I want to do is make sure that we can travel through this portion of the uh, Pilgrim's Progress as we are dealing with his initial departure from home and him succumbing to the slough of despond or the pit of despond. And I want to talk us through it. I want us to get a little bit of a better handle on what that is tonight uh, in terms of language, in terms of uh, mental conception of what that is. And uh, we'll have an opportunity tomorrow in our Zoom class to press into uh, the major obstacle that Pilgrim engages, and that is worldly wise men. And I'm hoping that we can identify him in a very concrete way to help us as people of God get a better handle on the trials and, and temptations that come our way uh, as well. John's Gospel, chapter 10, just a few verses here that I want us to engage in, and they will start over at verse 20. 20, uh, 25. I'm going to start at 25. Now I'm going to start at verse 24. We'll walk through 27. John's Gospel, chapter 10, 24 through 27. Then came the Jews round about him, that is Christ, and said unto him, How long do you make us to doubt? If you be the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered and said, I've told you, and you do not believe me. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe me because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Verse 29. My father, which gave them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. And to close that argument, he says, I and my father are one. To help you understand what Jesus said right there on a larger doctrinal level, we would call this theologically a statement affirming what is called the preservation of the saints. If you've never heard it before, write it down because what I'm about to do is help anchor theology around the narrative of the allegory. The doctrine in view is called the doctrine of the preservation of the saints. Preservation of the saints. There is a second category to that, which is two sides of the same coin. They are two words. One is preservation. The other one is perseverance. You can write that down as well. This is the doctrine that undergirds what we are looking at in terms of the pilgrim's journey, his present task, perseverance of the saints. Perseverance and preservation of the saints are two sides of the same coin, but they actually have two different meanings and two different functions with the same goal. Um, the way we can understand the idea of preservation is, a, is the idea of being kept. That is actually the way the word is rendered. It means to be kept. If you are the object of grace in a relationship with Christ, 
his promises to keep you, keep you. This would be Jude chapter 1, verse 24. Jude chapter 1, 24 will give us the idea of preservation. Listen to it carefully. Now unto him, that is God, through Christ, that is able to do what? Keep you from falling. Follow that line. Don't, don't leave quickly. Don't get caught up in any kind of emotional response. Don't over presume that you know that. Make an immediate application of that as a promise. That is called a promise. Now, this is what we're going to be talking about, how it was that Pilgrim really struggled in the slew, slough, pit of despond. So here's what we call a promise. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Is that a promise? Right. And the, the, the inference and explicit statement is that God is the one that keeps us from falling. Okay. Falling is a real possibility. Falling away is an eternal tragedy. But what you need to know is that there's a promise in Scripture that he is able to keep us, fallen, uh, keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Another way to understand this verse is God's purpose of keeping you all the way to glory. So I hope you're looking at the verse because I want you really imbibing it. I don't want you just listening to me. Because one of the things we're about to learn with Pilgrim is that Pilgrim didn't know his Bible as well as he should have. And this is what led him to the slew of despond. This is not an admonition. It's a kind of warning that you and I, if we are longtime Christians and we fail to really anchor ourselves in the promises of God, we can, even after being in Christ a long time, still find ourselves in this miserable condition that Pilgrim is in because of a failure of understanding the relationship between my walk with Christ and his word to me. My walk with Christ and his word to me. That's what we're about to get into. Your outline will lead it because it's Socratic. I've given you a number of questions and we're going to work it through. How many of you guys are keeping up with us in the reading of the Pilgrim's Progress or the listening? Good. 70%? Great. So this won't, this won't evade you. When we talk about the preservation of the saints, we're talking about a passive work on our part. A passive work on our part. The saint in preservation is kept by God apart from anything that he or she is doing. That makes sense, right? So preservation is the work of God to keep you. Perseverance is the work of God in you to continue in the path that God is calling you to. Perseverance, therefore, is much more an internal response to the external benefits of God's preservational providences in your life. The believer is called to persevere. Did that make some sense? Right. Jesus doesn't persevere for you. You persevere because he preserves you unto that process. It's attitudinal, but it's also uh, process oriented. And this is important. Matthew chapter tw uh, 24, verse 12 I think maybe it'll be verse 13, but I want to see Matthew 24, 12, verse 13, Matthew 24, 13. Listen to the language here. It says this, but he that shall endure unto the end. You see the perseverance in that? He that shall endure to the end, the same shall be what? 
saved, right? So when we talk about the preservation of the saints, we are talking about God keeping us. When we talk about the perseverance of the saints, we're talking about the grace to continue to the end. This means that the relationship between the believer being called to come to Christ and the believer actually coming to Christ is a synergistic relationship. This is where Philippians chapter 2.12 comes into play again. You know the verse, but I want it to be driven home because I want you to be able to tangibly sense what just happened with Pilgrim leaving home and getting in this trouble and then getting out of this trouble. Okay, I want you to understand what's going on. So listen to what Philippians chapter 2.12 says. Wherefore, my beloved, uh, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with what? Can you hear that word being applied to pilgrim? Can you see it working through this scenario? Can you see it? So this is an imperative. This is not an indicative. This is a word given to pilgrim from the Lord. It's a word given to you and me, is it not? And then we get the promise in verse 13 of preservation. Look at what it says. For it is God which is what? Working in you. Do you see it? Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Very important to see that. Because if you and I were to take Pilgrim as to where he is right now in the struggle of the slew, everything that I just shared with you, he would not be able to explain. And the reason he would not be able to explain it is because he's too new of a Christian. And what that means is when you're a new Christian, you are going through a lot of things that you cannot explain. Did you understand what I just stated? And that's where a pilgrim is, and that's what I want you to feel as we walk with him. I don't want you to be only outside of some bubble as if, you know, you already know. I want you to feel that because this should have been your experience as a brand new Christian as well. Because as a brand new Christian, you are entering into a domain, into a realm, into an experience every second of the day in things that you've never experienced before. That is a very overwhelming experience. So now let's begin to work through our outline while we have some time under the uh, title, A Conversation with Who? A Conversation with Who? A Conversation with Help. A Conversation with Help. That's the word I want to lift up now. Because the word help here is what describes the doctrine of preservation and perseverance. The word help encompasses the totality of preservation and perseverance. If God is going to preserve me, that means he's going to what? Help me. If I'm going to persevere by God's grace, that means there's going to be something helping me do that, right? And the psalmist says it frequently, as your elder quoted it two weeks ago, preserve me, O God, for I trust in you. That's an explicit statement on the part of David who knew he could never overcome his problems without God's help. So you and I want to know that a great prayer is a prayer of preservation. So both of these concepts come under the idea of we need what? Help. Does that make sense? All right, the next verse I want us to look at is Romans chapter 8, verse 26. 
I'm not going to unpack this. I just want it to be read and I want you to think about it. So now listen to what it says. Likewise, in the same manner, I think I'll start back at verse 24 to give them a context so that you can know this is where Pilgrim is right here. Where Pilgrim is, is in verse 24, for we are saved by what? Right. Hope is the opposite or the are the um, the second side of the coin of what? Faith. Right. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not what? And this is what I meant by Pilgrim is on a journey that he has no empirical confidence in because he's walking by what? But it also means he's walking by what? That's exactly right. So all you have to do is think this through. What is propelling the believer towards his goal or her goal is hope. What is propelling the believer towards his or hers, her goal is what? Hope. And if anything else is propelling the believer besides hope, the believer must fail. I want you to see that. So notice, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? Good logic, right? Now I want you to move into, I want you to move into now the very, the very tactile dilemma that humanity is in that corresponds to where, um, where, where Pilgrim is in this verse 25. But if we hope for that which we see, then we do with, then do we with patience, but if we hope for that, we see not, then do we with patience, what? Wait for it. This is a very powerful statement of which you and I have already learned. Patience too is a fruit of faith, right? I'm going to bring it up again, but the Bible says in Psalm 40 verse one, I waited patiently on the Lord. I waited patiently on the Lord. Now I want you to capture this with me. Look at me. Patient, again, does not mean a passive, sitting by, kind of aimlessly hoping in something. Patient mean a diligent focus on a promise that you desperately need. A diligent focus on a promise that you desperately need. To be patient in the biblical sense is to be completely convinced that the only person that can deliver you from your plight is God. It's important for you to know that. I waited. To wait is to expect, to long for, to desire, to be fully persuaded that there is no other option but this one. And therefore, I'm sitting here with eager expectation for God to show up. That makes sense, right? Very important for you to get. Now look at the next verse. Here it is. Likewise, therefore, the spirit also what helps our infirmities. So I have to drill down into that a little bit so that you can get it, because, again, we like to talk about these verses and we really don't engage them. The purpose of the third person is to help you. That's the purpose of the third person to help you. You have to know that, okay? The role of the third person is to help you because you cannot, without God, help yourself. But the, the problem with the proposition I'm setting forth here is that for the third person to help you, you have to be placed in situations where you are helpless. All right, so, so now, now, but there's more to be said, to be said 
and it's important for you to listen because I, I can tell you want to worship, but I want you to listen. Um, the idea of, of um, God helping you is really the idea of you being disciplined and making sure that whatever you engage in, you correspond with him for that help. Because if you are not operating out of a correspondence with God at the level of needing help, you have lost consciousness of the fact that you and God are on a journey together. I talked to you guys about that last Sunday. A lot of Christians get in trouble because they wake up and go about their day without even acknowledging the presence of the Lord or the presence of Christ. Did that make some sense? So it's important for you to know this. The, the, the father gives you the third person so that you can actually engage him in those assignments that God has given you in a way in which once you become very much aware that those assignments are above your head, the immediate default is to talk to him and to seek help. All right. So I'm prefacing you for our account. OK, likewise, the spirit also helps our infirmities. Now, you see that word infirmity. That is the word ostinea, which means you do not have the strength to get the job done that God is requiring of you by yourself. All right. So his job is to help you. His job is not to do it for you. OK, so his job is not to do it for you. And what that means is he won't. He won't do it for you. There won't be anything that God is calling you and me to do that you can kind of presume the Holy Ghost will do it. That's, that's not the relationship. Because the relationship is to be relentlessly one of collaboration. Relentlessly one of collaboration. Relentlessly one of collaboration. Like God has assignments for you to do. And they will get done. And they'll get done in a way that brings God's glory, God glory, God glory, because you will have become become conscious that the spirit of God has to help you. And where you do not defer to him for help, you'll collapse in that assignment. In some way or another, you'll collapse. You guys follow that? It's important for me to make sure that comes home because you and I have infirmities like, you know, if we have 10 assignments and all 10 of the assignments are in magnitude greater than our capacity to accomplish, then we're set up for failure, are we not? Right. And God is not, he hasn't designed your walk or mine for us to fail. So when we are failing, it is not that God is failing. It is that you are failing because you're playing games with the resident Lord. It's important to get this. So, because what we're being told here is you're his and he loves you and there's an assignment that he asked for you and he's telling you to do it so you have an imperative but you can't do it by yourself. So you should develop a kind of negotiable set of terms by which you are consciously saying, okay, Lord, I'm getting ready to do this. Holy Spirit, help me. I just kind of want you to keep that in mind. Again, we can we can plug a lot of things in here, but watch an inference that comes out of this. For we know not what we should what. Now, now notice what he does immediately. He says you need help. And it's going to be the kind of help that requires prayer. 
And even your prayer for your help needs help. All right, so, so, so you know, again, I hear all amens. I've got a lot of Baptists in the house or whatever. I'm, what I want you to do is just be serious about what I'm talking about. I just want you to hear it. Because there's some babies in here and they're, they're really wanting to hear what I'm saying. What I'm getting at is a kind of relationship with God that will help you overcome your assumptions and presumptions about your walk with God. And what God will definitely let you do is slip into deep states of despair because you play games with your walk. Y'all got what I just stated? All right, so I'm, I'm just going to keep moving because I, I want to just make sure with all of these people in here and there's a bunch of people hungry for new things, I want this to come across. I may unpack this a little bit more tomorrow night in our Wednesday class where we have more time and, and some Q&A, but I'm hoping to make our way to worldly wise men. But I do want to say this as we're dealing with Pilgrim's progress and the Pilgrim has just dropped off obstinate because obstinate could not even begin to stand the difficulty of the task. More can be said. And he has just recently dropped off pliable because both Austin and pliable didn't have what it takes to actually even endure the slew of despond. Does that make some sense? All right. There could be more said, but you guys know we talked about this last week. God must strip you of all ulterior sources of confidence, including people in your life. Because it may, it must become one of these things where you know him for yourself. Does that make some sense? And so this is where the slew of despond, the slough of despond becomes really problematic. And you know in the account that pliable leaves because he cannot stand the indignity of being made muddy and therefore appearing to be something that he does not see himself to be. So I'm going to help some of you just for time's sake. The problem with pliable and the journey with pilgrim as they entered into the slough of despond is that pliable did not see himself as a sinner. And the slew of despond is designed to help you get an accurate assessment of your messiness. And here's how this works. You'll have a partner that you're, you're working with, a spouse or just someone platonically. And how can two walk together except they be? Now, so stay with me. What happens, therefore, when two people are developing a relationship by which they're going down the road together, there is a level of uh, symb symb symbiotic uh, awareness, a kind of symbiosis of relationship at the emotional, at the psychological, at the psychological level, at the um, at the interrelational level where you feel him and he feels you and you guys have a deep relationship at a kind of cognitive level. You're aware when they're sad and you care about their sadness. You're aware when they're happy and you care and enjoy their happiness. Am I making some sense right about now? You are aware when they may be in a disconcerting state, uh, in a state of anxiety or stress or difficulty. And when you are friends, you share each other's burdens at that level. Because you actually become in kind. The Greek concept of being in kind is 
to be similar in nature. Let every seed bearing herb bear fruit after its own kind. So when believers are walking in fellowship with one another, particularly if we're walking in the spirit, we can bear one another's burdens because we are viewing each other as of the same what? Kind. But if that consciousness is not there, here's what happens. You can walk with a brother or a sister for a minute, but their burden becomes a burden for you. And Pilgrim's burden became a burden for Pliable. And Pliable didn't want that burden because Pilgrim was the sinner and not Pliable. Raise your hand if you came home because the clock is just super outrunning me. And the point is that you have to get this. What's happening with Pilgrim is John 16, 8. And when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he is going to convince you that you are a sinner. You got it? He's going to convince you that you're a sinner. Not everybody wants to come under that kind of light. Not everybody wants to go through the rigor of honesty. Not everybody wants to have to be very much aware of their messiness. A lot of times when you and I are trying to be honest with our friends around our difficulties, you can, you can quickly discover how little patience they have for you. And you should not be mad at them because they are not your paraclete. Okay? They are not your synergoi. A synergoi is the Greek term for a common energy. Synergism is the idea that God comes along with his energy. He attaches his energy to your energy to give you more energy so you can do what you need to do. Somebody say amen. amen. So you have energy, but you don't have enough. You need another battery pack to come along attached to your battery to give you more energy so you can do what you're called to do. Did that come home? So stay with me. Your friend does not have the energy. And so that's why, like Job's three friends, they said, enough of this. And you guys understand what I'm getting at. Now, this can become precariously offensive on a relational level when you expect your friend or your husband or your wife to be the paraclete. But they cannot be what only God can be for you. And so there has to occur as you are becoming the sinner that you need to be come before Christ is your only answer. Everyone must abandon you. Did that make some sense? That's what your master said. You're not better than me. And everybody abandoned him. And they all abandoned him because no one could be the sinner that Christ was. Did he come home? Did he come home? No, you're missing it. You're totally missing it. No one could be the sinner that he was. Did y'all understand what I just stated? Because the father took all of the sins of all of his people and placed him on Christ so that he became the substitute that bore our sin and our guilt and the weight of it and the feeling of it. 
at levels in which nobody could join him. He had to tread the wine press all by himself. Peter left him. James left him. John left him. Matthew left him. Matthias left him. Judas left him. Did y'all get what I just stated? He laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so Jesus now is bearing the sin as the sin bearer of his people in a way in which, in a micro model, this is what you and I have to go through too before the cross becomes beneficial to us. It comes home, doesn't it? It comes home. And, and, and it's extremely important for us to know that when he, the spirit has come, he will reprove or correct or convince the world of what? So is pilgrim becoming convinced that he's a sinner remarkably and wonderfully and and amazingly isn't he in fact he's owning it in such a way he's owning it in such a way that when help comes to him certain questions are raised because pilgrim needs to understand what's going on and he's ready to understand what's going on first question are outlined then so we can walk through this is he comes, the helper comes, the helper comes only when we are completely what? Helpless. Here's another word you can put there, powerless. So Zechariah chapter four, verse six, you should know it by heart, not by power, nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Did that come home? Not by power, nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. What does that mean? What we learned last week was that in 1 Samuel chapter 2 with Hannah and the prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2, 6, uh, chapter 2, let's start at verse 9 of Hannah's prayer. She learned this too. She says, God will keep the feet of the saints. Is that the doctrine of preservation? And the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength shall no man what? That's the doctrine of our depravity that underscores our weakness and we could never do it in our own strength. Makes sense, huh? And that's the revelation that came to Pilgrim in the midst of the slew of despond while he was doing what? What was he doing? That boy was sinking so bad that that Plavel said, where you at, man? I want y'all to notice that. Because what we're dealing with really is not a geographical trajectory here, but a psychological dimension. Did that come home? See, you may be thinking of a territorial progression, and the text is really teaching you how that two people can be walking together. One person can identify with you in some external way, but the, the other person that's going through what they're going through is really going through something that that other person cannot fully identify with. Makes sense. Makes sense. Pliable saw that in this experience of a psychological burden, a real struggle, and, 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 uh, and help actually tells Pilgrim what it is, and I'm going to share with you in a moment, you'll notice that Pliable looked up, he saw just right over the fence, his house was there. Isn't that what the text says? And that's because when people are not persuaded that Jesus is the answer, they're always looking for a door out. And as soon as they find one, they're out. Did that come home? Right. The door for leaving was there. Here's what I want you to capture. The door for leaving 
for Pilgrim was not there. Did that make some sense? Here's why. Here's why, just in case you don't get it. Pilgrim had a level of commitment in his soul to the goal of getting to the wicked gate. Because he was being what? Drawn. Remember what we learned? He was being what? Drawn. God was drawing him. No one can come unto me except the father would sit me do what? Right. So so I really want you to be able to catch these verbs that are being used concerning the experience of preservation and perseverance and understand them in their deep theological sense at the application level. If I'm being drawn of God, if God has gotten a hold of me, he who has begun a good work in you, if God is drawing me, what he's going to be doing is molding the way I think. He's going to be shaping my thought process. Now I'm back to the spirit of God convincing me. So while God is drawing me, the spirit is also reshaping my thought processes. While God is drawing me by providential circumstances, events, mysterious things that we can't put our hands on altogether, guess what he's doing in my mind? He's shutting me up to himself. While he's drawing, drawing me, he's also convincing me that I need him to draw me. While he's drawing me, guess what he is doing? He is keeping me from serious thoughts of leaving him. Because if he doesn't, I would. I would look for an escape just like Pliable would look for an escape. Would we not? All right. And so under our first question, he comes only when we are completely what? Helpless. Number two, help asked pilgrim. Why was he there? You guys got that? That was the question that was raised. Now, I'm going to give you the answer for time's sake. Tomorrow in our Q&A, we can talk it through. I just want you to get this. Now, I should talk about who help is, but I'm going to let you guys use a holy imagination and we can talk about it tomorrow. Because a lot of the characters, they represent something, okay? But I've already kind of given you a hint as to who he was or who he is and so he raises the question, how did you get here? It's really important for you and I to know when we're in a mess how we got there. It's really important for you and I to know when we are in a mess how we got there. And when God is going to ask you how you got there, it's not because he needs an answer like he doesn't know. It's always about him teaching you something about your experience that he expected you to go through. In other words, God knew that Pilgrim had to go through that event. In fact, what I'm going to say to you now to help you lock it down, we're in Luke's gospel, chapter uh, 13, in this context, verse 24. I want to drive this home because, again, my time is flying. Every believer has to go through this slough of despond. Every believer has to go through this because every believer, non-negotiably, has to be brought to a place of being completely persuaded that he is helpless. Every believer has to be brought to a non-negotiable conclusion that he is a sinner. You cannot be saved in the certainty of what salvation is, if you don't believe you're a sinner. 
This is going to be the next level challenge that Pilgrim has when worldly wise men comes. Is that not right? Once a worldly wise men comes, next level trial. But the first level trial that Pilgrim is very much passing the test is him realizing how corrupt and how vile he is. The slew of despond represents the motions of sin that work according to the law. Romans 7 verse 4 and 5. Listen to what they say. Romans, okay, I'm sorry, stay here. Luke 13, 24. Here's the inference of the statement. Strive to enter in at the what? For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be what? Does that apply to pilgrim? You got it? For two reasons. He had two other companions with him. They were not able to enter in. They were not able to enter in because one was a wayside hearer. The, the seed didn't even land anywhere. The second one was a shallow hearer, right? On the stony ground, rather. And so the word never took root. root. Pilgrim was the only one of whom God had chosen to come through the straight gate. What that means is on your way to that gate, a lot of stuff is getting ready to drop off. See what I'm getting at? In other words, as I've stated before, and I want to wrap this up, what we're dealing with is an extremely acute account of what it means for God to show you your sin. It, it, this is a common thing for one of the greatest servants of God in the Bible. Do you know who that servant is? David. I can tell you now. You read Psalm 32 and you read Psalm 51. I could give you 30 other Psalms that he wrote. David was always honest with God about his sin. He was not only honest with God about his sin, he constantly petitioned God to help him. Does that make some sense? Because the one thing that David knew, beside the fact that he was king, Beside the fact that he was the Lord's servant, he was a child of the living God, a shepherd of Israel, and he would be the progenitor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the thing that David knew. Are you ready? He was a sinner. Against you and you only, O oh Lord, have I done this evil in your sight. You don't hear kings talking like that. Am I making some sense? It's really extremely important. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. The first thing I want you to catch is the imperative strive. Was Pilgrim striving? Yes, he was. Was it a straight path? Literally in the Greek grammar there, it means a path of affliction. I mean, you know, from the start of him leaving his home to getting to this gate, which he's not there yet, it's a pretty rough course, isn't it? This is what Pliable did not like. <laughs> what, what Pilgrim was doing with Pliable was telling him about all of the glories of the kingdom. How good the king is and how pleasant the land is and how wonderful the blessings are. Again, that's prosperity preaching. And he gave a little clip on sufferings and difficulties, but Pliable wasn't hearing it because all Pliable wanted to do was add to his own dignity a resume of religion. Y'all see what I'm getting at? All right, number, uh, number two, when he asked Pilgrim why was he there, he was there because it is the path necessary enter in at the straight gate did you get that enter in at the straight gate remember evangelist showed him which way to go didn't he 
We're going to meet evangelists after we deal with worldly wise men, right? Evangelist was a faithful servant of God, was he not? He said, son, yonder is the gate. There it is. I wish I had more time to talk about how in the vision of, 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 of Bunyan with Pilgrim and all these other characters, the wicked gate was not that far away. But also neither was the Mount Sinai under which he almost collapsed. Neither was the house back to the world that far away. This is all by design to help you understand that in psychological proximity, you and I are always in danger of circling back to our worldly ways. That did come home, right? That did come home, right? First of all, the way to the gate was not that far. It was just difficult. See what I'm getting at? And on the way there, they're, they're off ramps if God doesn't keep you. And this is how you and I know because there's so many people in our own community, in our own experience that walk with us for a little while and then fall away. Off ramps. The only reason that you and I are not off the ramp is because of preservation and perseverance. If these two are not the categories, you would boast that you are better and wiser than somebody. And the only reason you're keeping up is because you're, you're special. Now, you are special in the clinical sense. You're special. You're special. But that's not going to help you put one foot in front of the other and make it to Jesus. All right. So he actually says, why are you there? And so he's there because the command came enter in at the straight gate enter in at the straight gate because most people won't make that gate y'all got that i'm going to leave that there for now and let's go to number three what did help tell pilgrim he should have looked for this is going to be extremely important going forward four letters do you guys know it s t e p i'll say five steps did you not see the steps? Did you not see the steps? Stay with me for a minute, because what I want you to capture with this is really the kind of nexus of this dilemma. And I kind of talked about that in the opening. Here's the nexus of this dilemma. So when help comes along, which we're calling the third person, are we not? So immediately what help does before, before even pulling him out, I love it. He said, boy, what you doing here? He's sinking deep in sin. He said, why are you here? And if you listen carefully to Pilgrim's response, please get this child of God. Please get it. He's not blaming obstinate nor pliable or anybody else. He's confessing his own sin. What I'm, what I'm trying to do with you guys in short order is to help you recognize when God is really dealing with somebody. Because a lot of people will say God's dealing with them and, and you won't see the categories necessarily that affirm that. John Bunyan understood that when God is dealing with you, he's going to he's going to make you raggedy to yourself. You must become raggedy to yourself. Why? And, and this is the, the language that help gave him. Help gave him would come under our fourth our fourth point, but let me just stay on the steps. I'm going to get to point number four for sure, and maybe even five. But when he asked him, "Did you not see the steps?" <laughs> Fundamentally, what what Pilgrim said was, "What steps?" 
there was a major disconnect between what the Lord had provided for him in that muddy slough and his experience. Can I talk about it? I, I want you to capture this. Because if you're going to be a good physician, really capable of helping people, you must know what it means for God to begin a work of grace in your life and teach you what it means to be a sinner. Worldly wise man is going to give Pilgrim all of the opposite counsel. And worldly wise man represents many church folk that love to help you get rid of your burden as soon as you can. Oh, we, all you got to do is this. All you got to do is that. All you got to do is the other thing. Just stop this. Just stop that. Go over there. This will fix it. Get a massage. Right? And I want you to capture what I'm about to say here. The moment you are operating out of that secular therapeutic model of trying to help people, you are now engaging in emotionalism and not spirituality. Did that come home? Right. And then you're being extremely presumptuous because you actually think you have a proper diagnosis of their problem. And this was the era of Job's three friends. They were as far as anyone could get away from really knowing what Job was going through. Am I making some sense? Didn't I tell you that last week? You are miserable physicians, physicians who cannot heal. And you and I don't ever want to be that. We never want to be someone that thinks we can come up and diagnose the person and tell them what their problem is and give them an anecdote and we're a million miles away. Did that make some sense? Right. And what you're going to learn between uh, uh, worldly wise man's counsel and evangelists, because evangelists is coming back around. We'll talk about why that is necessary for before you even get to the cross. What you're going to learn is that evangelist is going to actually tell Pilgrim he failed to catch the steps too. So let me give you a few Bible verses to help you with this. And I'm going to tell you what they are at the psychological level. And I think you're going to find it out. If you will look at Psalm 37, verse 23, we're going to be running through this one. Psalm 37, 23. Listen to this one. Listen to this one. This is what it says. Listen to what he says. The steps of a what? Or what? That is huge. Huge. Is that not a huge? Can I stop right there? Game over. Okay, so let me un uh, unpack it a little bit so I can liberate some of you who are already burdened. The steps of a good man. The translators bracketed good, which means it's not in the original language. The steps of a man are good. That's what it literally means. But it's not a man in the generic sense of anthropos or ish. It's a man in the Hebraic sense of the word is eber, eber. I want you to capture it. You with me? The steps of a warrior man is good. The steps of a masculine made to lead warrior man is good. The Eber man in the Hebrew is the man who is called to provide and protect. I've been telling you what a biblical man is, right? First, he is a what? He's a provider. Then he's a what? Protector. And finally, he's a what? Which we got it all jacked up in this generation, do we not? 
right. So listen carefully. God does not view you and me as a good man, man if we are not a man of provision. Why would anybody come under the shadow of our wings and we're too lazy to work? Why would any woman come under the shadow of your wings and you're not competent to take care of them? If we were to extrapolate this a little further, why would any parent give their daughter to you if you are broke and lazy and slothful? This is a good study. Is this a good study? Is this a good study? So stay with me. Stay with me. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. That's so clear. You know what that means? All the warrior man needs to do is make sure every time he takes a step, he plants it where God tells him to plant it. He plants it where God tells him to plant it. Put your feet down on the path that God has already laid out for you and walk according to that path. Did y'all get that? Listen carefully to me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the path. Pay attention to him. Did y'all get that? P-A-T-H. That's the goal. The reason why men and women everywhere mess up is because they don't take Jesus seriously. Right. So you will meet a lot of Christians who once they play the game of coming up to the altar and praying the sinner's prayer, they 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 guide their own steps. They carve out their own journey. They're just walking all over the place, just doing their own, they're just doing their own thing. And getting so far from the path. So far from the path. Y'all keeping up with me? Right. The steps of a good man, a warrior man are ordered of the Lord and he delights in his ways. God delights in the way of a man who makes sure one foot is put in front of the other. And how do you do that, pastor? Well, it was already indicated in the text. This is going to be Proverbs chapter three, verse six. Listen to it carefully. Listen to it. Now, you already know it, but divest yourself of knowing it for a moment, because when you know Bible verses too much, you forget that you don't know it. So just out of humility, just go, oh, this is the first time I've ever heard this. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your steps. Is that what it says? So do you understand the, do you understand the um, arduous nature of that at the relationship level? So if God's going to direct my steps, I've got to acknowledge him in all my ways. What that means is there is, as I said earlier, a sim symbiotic, collaborative, reciprocating relationship where the servant is not presuming he can take 20 steps and then say, Lord, what do I do next? Lord, what are the steps for me today? What are the steps for me today? Am I making sense? What are the steps for me today? Now, you can't do that if God doesn't persuade you that you're the kind of sinner that in neglecting God's lead, you will sink. You won't ask him for help if you're too proud and think somehow you know the way yourself. This is what's so beautiful about Pilgrim, because here's what's happening to him if you don't already know. 
He's just falling apart on the inside because he doesn't know what to do. Isn't that what the text was telling us, the account? Pilgrim was struggling because he didn't know which way to go. And that's where Pliable left. He He said, Pilgrim, where are you? He said, I don't know. Beautiful. Because that's a reality that lends one now to the humility of saying, Lord, you got to lead me. You got to guide me. And how humbling it is for you to have in your zeal for Jesus, got your cousin to run with you. Two or three of them run with you. When I first got saved, I had all kind of people run with me. I did, because, you know, as a young person, you just don't even know, right? You just getting at it. All kind of people rolling with me. What you up to? Just Bible study, man. We can do some Bible study. We're going to pray. They didn't come to prayer hardly at all. We're going to do some Bible study. And they came to Bible study because they wanted to argue. And I didn't hardly know anything about the Bible, so we just opened the Bible and reading and just, just having a good time. This was zeal without what? Knowledge. But because God had gotten a hold of me, I persevered and they dropped off. Does that make some sense? Because every day was a learning day for me, a building block day. I was very much aware when I was saying things that I knew I did not know. This is what you do when you're a young Christian. You open your mouth and say things because you want to be more knowledgeable than you are. Fortunately, the resident Lord is hanging out with you and going, uh-uh, bro, uh-uh, sorry, bro, nah, uh, nah. It's a good thing he's your partner, he ain't going to pull your coattail, right? He, no. And you know in your mind, I'm way off the map, right? Then everybody looking at you all crazy, raise your hand if I'm telling the truth. You, you, you saved, you saved as can be, but it's humiliating. And then you go home and say, Lord, have mercy on me for talking like I knew something when I did not know. And then you start working on knowing. Right? Because that's part of the path. Part of the path is what David said or the psalmist said in Psalm 1909, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? If the mud's getting all over me, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Now, if I take heed according to God's word, now I'm going to find the steps. Am I going to find the steps? Because And so that's what Helper was saying to Pilgrim. Pilgrim, are you ready? You forgot the steps because you failed to remember the promises. You forgot the steps because you failed to remember the promises. You forgot the steps because you failed to remember the promises because your sin was kicking up so much. This is where I'm going to close with you. Again, I want you to go back and listen to the account. Just in case you're not tracking with me. When, so after the honeymoon phase for every new Christian, there's a reality that sets in. And that reality that sets in is that you discover that your sins, after a while, become uncomfortable for you. I'm going to walk this one through and then I'm closing. So this is what uh, this is what Helper was saying. He's saying now the pathway that you went through is good, pilgrim, but 
It's filled with all of the fears and doubts and all of the emotional tumults of men whose conscience is overwhelmed by their sins. That's what he said. He said, now the path is legit. God means you to go through that. There is no way around that. You're not going to get to the cross without being fully persuaded that you are corrupt from the inward man. Right? You, you're not going to get to the to Calvary and value what Calvary is for you until you understand, like Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. And so that's why Helper said, this is good. This is good. This pathway is good. The problem is, is that what Christ meant, what, he, what the Helper said was, what Christ meant to do in laying down the, the steps in the midst of the, the murky slough, it's for you to be able to, in the midst of struggling with your sinful, emotional, discombobulating, undignified state, is remember the steps anyway. Remember the steps anyway. Remember the steps anyway. Don't let your emotions hide the steps from you. Don't let the storm of your difficulty obscure the steps it would be equivalent to saying don't let your emotions mitigate your faith don't let faith be so overcome by how you're feeling that you fail to recourse to the promises of God makes sense huh makes sense easier said than done and it's important for you and I to know this because to be able to simultaneously deal with the ugliness of your sinfulness and walk confidently in God's promises, it takes the third person to hold those two together without you absolutely going insane. Right? I feel like I got to say a few more things about that because of the generation I live in. I live in a generation of sociopaths and psychopaths. I live in a society of people that love to manipulate themselves into thinking that there's something that they're not. And I love where we are in 2024 because all kind of highfalutin sociopaths are falling like stars. I told you that on the Monday program. We're seeing it everywhere. Don't laugh. Remember what God said. Do not rejoice when the wicked falls. But I want you to watch it because I'm going to be telling you about it all through 24. Why God is letting them fall. They're falling because they are pretenders. Now, as a child of God, you must see the destruction of the house of the wicked. Because that's what the proverb says. The wise the righteous wisely regards the house of the wicked and God destroys it anyway. Why do we observe how the wicked kingdoms operate, how wicked men govern and how wicked men rule? It's because they put on a facade like worldly wise men that they know how to get to the objective in ways in which we don't. 
And if we follow them, we can get there. And they put on such a smooth facade for so long that so many people follow that way. That if you're weak in faith and not grounded in the principle of patience, you'll be inclined to want to follow the path of the worldly wise man. Am I making some sense, children of God? And this is why God has to destroy them from time to time in our presence too. Because if he destroys your president, then God often has destroyed an idol in your own heart. I started with him because that's one of the big problems with American Christians. They idolatrize the presidency. And if he destroys your educators, there's not too many Christians that are idolatrizing educators unless you're in that thin air of accomplishment, PhDs and, and doctorates, and you're part of that delusional system. But when he destroys your athletes, or better yet, your entertainers, because a bunch of us operate in the court jester serena, arena where all we want to do is be entertained. And when these highfalutin clowns are exposed and fall apart, we go, oh, are you ready? But for the grace of God, there go I. Does that make some sense? And then for a moment you go, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you did not give me over to that delusion. Lord knows it was in my heart. Isn't that what Pilgrim said? I love him. Isn't that what he said when the evangelist came along? He, it, I love him. When he got to the wicked gate, didn't he confess all the way to the wicked gate? The only reason I'm here by the grace of God, because I can tell you my heart was so inclined into wickedness. See, this is called confession. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But ladies and gentlemen, God has to make you a sinner for confession to be real. And a lot of times it's got to be painful. So what evangelist said and what goodwill said, I'm done here. What goodwill said? Pilgrim, you got to wear that pack. I'm helping you guys, and, and I'm doing this short order because of time. Pilgrim, you got to wear that pack. See, in this age of easy believism and self-righteous works religion, and, and, and folks who we might call uh, antinomian, for you to tell a sinner, you got to put up what you said. Isn't a merciless act. But stay with me for a moment, child of God. Do you have the ability to take away that person's sin? Do you have the wisdom to tell them what day their sins are going to be taken away? Do you have all of the, the tools and the skill sets and the books Lined up to say, let me show you in 10 easy steps how to relieve yourself of your sins and walk in the triumph of Christ and in the joy of the Lord. It can be done by three easy steps. You see what I'm getting at? Now you're playing God, but really being a devil.
Y'all keeping up with me? Very important. Also, as a child of God, do you understand how much faith it takes to see people struggling in the misery of their sin and not out of an egotistical savior motif impulse try to rescue them? Did you understand what I just stated? They're there. They're there. You shouldn't be fearful. You shouldn't be doubting. You shouldn't be troubled. Who says not? Who says not? What if that's the work of the Holy Ghost? What if the Spirit of God is bringing them closer to Calvary? What if that pack has to become so big that all they can say with their vocabulary is help, Lord? See what I'm saying? <laughs> 